Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grow Farm. We are thrilled to have you joining us as we embark on a journey following the life of Christ this year. You can follow along with us in person or online during our Sunday services at 9 and 11, 15 a.m., or you can catch up or revisit our messages right here through our Sermons Podcast and also on YouTube. If you are looking for more information about Christchurch or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also join us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. If we haven't met, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're worshiping with us today in person, or if you're joining us online as well. Well, this morning, we are in the fifth week of a series entitled The Life of Christ, The Way. And over the past four weeks, we've been looking at the person of Jesus Christ. We've been studying his teachings, and we've been studying the way that he lives and lived his life on this earth And we're looking at our own lives and reflecting on how God calls us to live in a way that reflects him each and every day. Well, last year, I don't know if you caught it, but if you had Disney Plus, there was a series out called The Mandalorian. How many of you saw The Mandalorian? Raise your hand. I figured there was a few more fans here in this service. Some of you are very eager to raise your hands when it comes to The Mandalorian. This is an exciting moment uh, for you. Well, in this series, there's a character that came out of Star Wars movie, and they kind of do a deep dive into the back uh, story of his life. And the Mandalorian was from a planet, and he was from a group of people that had a code for their lives. And they called it the what? The way, yes. When they were making a decision and they had a choice, they would say to each other, this is the way. It was a code of life that they had called themselves to live live by. In this series, we're also looking at a way. The way that Jesus lived his life and the way that he's called you and me to live today. Let me set a little context for the scripture that we're looking at here today. Matthew just finishes uh, what the script, what the book of Matthew calls is the calling of the disciples. Pastor Craig taught on this series last month. If you remember, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee and he saw Peter and Andrew. They were fishing him and he, he called them to follow himself. He then saw James and John, and they were fishing with their father on the Sea of Galilee. And scripture says that they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Friends, this is the same question that Jesus has asked every human being on this planet. Will you drop what you're doing? Will you follow me? Will you drop your nets? Will you drop your plans? Will you drop your dreams? Will you drop whatever it is that is in the forefront of your mind? And will you make me? the priority of your life. Will you follow me? Well, this morning, we get the opportunity to see what happens next. They drop their nets and they follow Jesus and he shows them a a new way, if you will, to live their lives. In verse 23, Pastor Craig just read this passage, but let me read it to you again. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News spread about him all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, 
the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, and Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, these are three interesting verses that are tucked into the gospel between two very famous sections of scripture, the calling of the disciples and the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes when we read these verses, you could almost think that they're kind of filler verses, and it's easy to skip over them. But today I invite you to take a, a closer look at this and reflect on our own lives, how God calls us to live today. You see, the first thing I think we see in this text are the very first two words of the scripture that we read, and that's this, Jesus went. He went. There's something profound about this, and we, we cannot miss this. It's easy to read past these words, but they're very important to notice. In his ministry on this earth, Jesus led a, a proactive one. He wasn't passive, and he didn't wait for people to come to him. Rather, he went to them. He didn't set up a university or teach in a classroom. Although I was thinking about this this morning, how sweet would Jesus University actually really be? I mean, I would go to that school. I mean, their football team would certainly be dominant. They would win every game for sure, right? Jesus, though, in his ministry and in the education that he taught to the disciples, it was more of a lab, if you will, than a lecture. He didn't pull back into a sterile environment, though. His lab was in the very real world. He went into the world, into the mess of our everyday lives, and he taught and he lived the truth. There would be distractions when Jesus taught when he walked through the world. There would be interruptions. And when we read through the Gospels, those are some of the most profound moments when Jesus is interrupted. There would be crying babies when he taught. If there was cell phones, there certainly would be cell phone ringers that would be going off in the middle of his messages. And there was worse type of distractions as well when he taught. But Jesus entered into our world and he spoke to our everyday life. This was his way to bring the truth directly to us. In the next chapter of Matthew, we see examples of how Jesus masterfully teaches in a way that applies to our everyday life. He teaches how God wants us to follow him when we're tempted with anger, when we're tempted with lust, how God wants us to follow him in our marriages, how God wants us to follow him in the way that we keep our word and the desire to seek revenge or not. God, how, how God wants us to follow him when we love our enemies, how to care for the poor or how to, how to handle our wealth. God even speaks to how we worry about what might or might not happen in our lives tomorrow. Jesus went. He entered into the world that he lived in and he brought a message that we could relate to our everyday life. He went. The second thing that we see in the text that we're studying this morning is that Jesus worked. When Jesus went, he didn't just hang out, but rather he worked. There was a project and there was something that he was doing on this earth. In Luke chapter 4, we see a parallel text. And Luke mentions that Jesus taught with an amazing authority. See, when Jesus entered into the villages in Galilee, he would often start teaching in the synagogues. In Jesus' time, there were two very important institutions of faith. One was the temple, 
And there was one temple during that time. It was in Jerusalem. That's where sacrifices would be made. Uh, The Jews would often gather there for special moments of worship and special moments of celebration. But in every village, in every town, there was most likely a synagogue. Matter of fact, if there was 10 Jewish men in a small village, they would often establish a synagogue right away. This was kind of like, if you will, almost like a, a civic and a faith center kind of mixed together. It was a place where lay leaders would come and read the Old Testament prophets, and they would read the law, and then someone would step up who had knowledge of the Old Testament, and they would explain what it means to their lives. Throughout the week, it might be a place where children were taught to read and to study the Torah and the Old Testament. It might be a place where, dis- where arguments were deciphered and people would work, work out their differences together. Well, you can imagine then the, the special event it would be if a traveling rabbi were traveling through town and, and entered into a synagogue. They were often invited to teach and share because of the knowledge that they had of the Old Testament. And so Jesus, as he travels, he's given a, a natural place to teach. And when he does, well, it makes a, a direct impact, if you will. You see, when he works, some amazing things happen, and we see how he works. The first thing that we see is that he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Scripture says this is what he did. This means that Jesus was sharing that God was at rule, that he was in charge, that he is in authority, and that he was present with them. Jesus was certain about this. And by the way, friends, this has not changed. It is still true today. God is at rule and he still is in charge. You know, as a pastor, uh, you get a number of questions. And one of the questions that I often get when I'm talking to people is they'll pull me aside and go, you know, do you think, pastor, that we're living in the end times? And when people ask me that question, I'll often go, why do you think that this might be the end times? And they'll say, well, it just seems like the world is getting darker. Like it's getting to be a more difficult place to live out our faith, to follow the way that Jesus has called us to live. But friends, I would propose that the challenges that we face today are not unique to our journey. You see, there's always been challenges to following Jesus. And that was definitely true for those that were listening to Jesus as he walked through Galilee and taught these words. For those listening to Jesus They would have known a dark world, maybe a more challenging world than ours, to follow God. The people that Jesus was speaking to were truly oppressed. They were living under Roman rule, and this was difficult. The average life expectancy during that time was 35 years old. And that was based basically because many of the children that were born during that time did not live to adulthood. But if you did survive to adulthood, you might live to the ripe old age of 55 years old. That was adult mortality rate during that time. Can you imagine? Our 50 North ministry would not have much north of 50 today if that was, I'm sorry I'm teasing you. I have one more year to tease 50 North before I join you on the other side. The people that Jesus were teaching to though, they were living a hard life. They often lived hand to mouth. If they had a bad crop cycle, it could be disastrous to their family to their friends. They were overtaxed, they were overworked, and they were poor. They did not live under the illusion that they were in charge, 
that they had control. They knew for certain that their life, that they did not have control. And they longed for the days when God ruled Israel like long ago. So when Jesus proclaimed that God was in control, this was a comfort to them. And it was a reminder that God had not forgotten them. And it should be a comfort to us as well today. When Jesus came, part of his work was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But he also taught the truth. In addition to proclaiming the certainty of God's rule, Jesus came to explain the meaning and the significance of God's word. We see him doing this in the next chapter in Matthew chapter 5 as he brings clarity and truth to others who have drawn the wrong conclusions about what it means to follow God. He taught the truth. And the third thing that we see him doing is that he healed pain. When Jesus taught, people came to him in pain. And all throughout the gospel, Jesus married perfectly the good news of the gospel and the good works of the gospel. Just like us, many of us who have come to Jesus in a moment of pain, whether it was when we were sick or lonely or confused or worried in life, when Jesus taught, people would come to him. There's something about hearing a savior. When you hear his words, you realize you need to be saved. Whether desperate or hurting, people came to him. And when they did, Jesus healed them. Now, he did this for a number of reasons. One of the reasons that Jesus healed is that it confirmed his message. Jesus was making claims that he was God. And when he demonstrated the power of God, people tended to believe him in the words that he said. In John 14, 11, scripture says this, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. The second reason why Jesus healed is that it fulfilled prophecy of the coming Messiah. Many were looking for a coming Messiah, and they knew that when he came, it was told about years, generations before, that he would come and you have the ability to heal. It would be a mark of a coming Savior. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, we see this. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame will leap like deer, and the mute tongues shout for joy. So when Jesus healed... It showed them that he was the Messiah. The third reason why Jesus healed is that it demonstrated his compassion. And it showed that he was open to all. Jesus cared. When he saw those in pain, he cared. And he cares today. Listen to his compassion in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. A parallel passage to what we're looking at today. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. It gives us an inside look at Jesus's heart. It's also convicting to me that sometimes when I get frustrated at the world around me, that my instinct is frustration rather than compassion for the needs of the world around us. So what does this mean for us today? How, how should we follow the way of Jesus Christ? And practically, 
What does this mean for you and me? In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes a masterpiece, but one of his quotes in this book, he says these words, he, Jesus, came to this world and became a man in order to spread to, to other men the kind of life he has, by which, by what I call a good infection. I love this. What a timely, good virus that we need to spread through our world in the time when we're running from infection. C.S. Lewis says, this is a good one. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. It simply means that the way of Jesus should be our way. And that our faith, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, shouldn't be something that we keep to ourselves, but rather something that we should spread to the world around us like a good infection. So how do we follow the way of Christ? I have a couple suggestions this morning. The first is simply this. You need to first ask the question, how close do you want to get to Jesus? That's the first question you must ask yourselves. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more he seems to ask of you, and the more you seem to want to follow him in your life. You know, just like those in Jesus' time, I believe that there are those today that prefer to view Jesus from a distance. They stay in the crowds and they listen to his teachings. They may find him interesting or thought-provoking, but they keep him at an arm's length. They They may ask very little of Jesus, and they want to make sure that Jesus asks very little of them as well. For those of you here today that stay at the periphery of Jesus' crowds, this may seem comfortable, and it may appear like we have control when we stay there. But if you're honest, it's distant. Jesus invites you to come closer. Come closer. Others today have ventured closer to Jesus They have heard his voice and they have drawn closer to him through scripture, through prayer, through preaching. Maybe you came to him in a moment when you were sick, like those that came to Jesus when he walked around Galilee. You ventured out of the crowd and you know him. Maybe even know him as a savior. But Jesus too invites you to come closer. Finally, there are those of us here today who have answered the question, Will you follow me? Jesus looked you in the eyes and said, Will you follow me? Just like he did the disciples. And you dropped what you're doing and you chose to follow him wherever he leads. You see, if we desire to be like Jesus, friends, we will have to go. We will have to go. Jesus had this way in the first century of wandering through Galilee. And those that followed him had to physically go and follow him. And there may be a time in your life when Jesus asks you to do the same thing, to physically go. Last week, Pastor Craig talked about this when he taught so well and mentioned how Pastor John left his country, left left where he was from in order to establish this ministry. And how he himself, for a season, had to leave Western Pennsylvania to follow God's will for his life. Many have left their homes and what is comfortable to follow Jesus. That might be true. 
But following Jesus does not have to mean physically moving. It also can be applied mentally and spiritually to our lives as well. You see, one of the largest blocks, I think, to following Jesus is this inability sometimes to get ourselves out of the way, right? Part of, part of following Jesus is putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves. It requires making the space to care, making the space to listen, and making the space to serve others ahead of ourselves. It requires us looking at our lives in a different way, removing ourselves from the number one character in our own personal narratives and putting Jesus in that rightful place in our hearts and in our minds. You know, friends, it is true that when we come to Jesus, we often come as a consumer. We need him, and we will need him again and again and again in our lives. But Jesus wants us to grow past just looking for fulfillment of our own personal needs. And this happens when we choose to follow him, when we work with him. You know, I, I grew up in a family where my father started his own business when I was in sixth grade. And if you're an entrepreneur, and I love talking to entrepreneurs because there's a certain guts you have to have in order to start your own company. My dad cashed out everything that he had, all of his 401k savings, and he had enough to survive for a year. And he bet on himself and he worked really hard and he built a successful company. He's actually retiring this summer, finally, at like 75 years old. He's finally gonna rest and enjoy the end of, uh, hopefully some good time at the end of his life together with my mom. But I remember when he started this company, he was busy, he had to work. And so I grew up in a family where if I wanted to spend some time with my father, it often um, like involved joining him in his work and jumping in to what he did. My dad was a manufacturer's rep in the lawn and garden industry. He would sell peat moss and fertilizer and chemicals, things that not 16 or 15 year old boys get super excited about, but I love spending time with my dad. And if I wanted to spend time with him, I would often sell with him. If I wanted 10 bucks, he would say, I'll give you 10 bucks, but you owe me an hour in the warehouse. Go kind of get that thing organized. And so I would set up some things for his week. But one of my favorite things that I loved to do with my father was actually serve at trade shows. You see, he would go to a convention center and set up a booth. And then independent garden center owners would come through and he would sell products. And he would pull me along with him and I would dress up in a white shirt and I would stand in the booth next to him. Now, I knew very little about peat moss at this time. I knew very little about selling a truckload of, of chemicals, but he would tell me, hey, if someone comes in and we get busy, you just keep them busy. Talk to them. Talk to them about whatever, sports or whatever keeps them there and, and, and listen to them and I'll come over to you and I'll help sell these products and we'll move through the day. And I remember watching my dad work in those booths. I have distinct memories of working with him. And I learned so much during that time. I learned how he ran his company, that he saw himself as a servant. He served those that he sold to because he wanted them to win and succeed. And he goes, if you serve them like that, they will be your customer for the rest of your life. And they have been customers for him for his entire life. But I learned so much along the way driving in the car to trade shows. The way that he served his customers in a booth or working in the yard next to him. 
Maybe you can relate. Maybe if you think about it, some of the most meaningful lessons that you learned in life when, we're, when you were under a car with your father or your grandfather or your uncle, changing oil or changing brakes. And it was in those moments that you knew that dad was going to speak to you about something that was meaningful. Or maybe it was in the kitchen when you were making pierogies shoulder to shoulder with your grandmother. And it was in those moments that you can remember some of the greatest life lessons that you ever learned. It was along the way, while you worked, while you served together. Friends, there is so much that we can learn about Jesus if we choose to serve him and we follow him along the way. There is so much that we can learn when we join him and we follow him in the journey of service. The third point that I have for this moment when it comes to how, third way to apply this to our life is what I call the rhythm of Jesus. This is something that we see throughout the Gospels. You certainly see it in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 and 39, but you see it in other places as well, which is just a simple rhythm of serving and resting and eating. I like to keep this as simple as possible because sometimes I get busy in life. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you're working or you're running or you're planning and all of a sudden you realize that something's wrong. This happened to me this week where I'm like, it was about 2.30 in the afternoon. I'm like, I just don't feel 100% right. Something's wrong. And then I realized, oh, I have forgotten to eat. All I've eaten today was a cup of coffee. I had coffee in the morning and I worked straight through lunch. That's what's wrong. I need to nourish my body. And if I eat, I'll have the energy to get through the rest of the day. Well, I think these physical principles apply to our soul as well. Just like our body needs nourishment, and exercise, and rest. Our souls need the same thing. And we see Jesus living in this rhythm again and again. The first is simply eating, which means spending time feasting on the presence of God, giving him your undivided attention. We can do this when we study scripture, when we apply it to our lives. When we worship together in community like we are doing here this morning, when we pray and when we listen to him, and when we discuss our faith with others, we learn how to work it out in our daily lives. We need to eat each and every day. And when it comes to our souls, we need to do the same thing. You couldn't eat just one meal today and expect not to be hungry on Thursday. The same is true when it comes to our hearts and souls. I had one ex-pastor who's a retired pastor at a church said, I see sermons as a cup of coffee. They're good for today, but tomorrow I'll need to be fed again. And that's true. We need to feed ourselves every day. Spend time in the presence of the Lord. The second rhythm that we see Jesus doing is work. And that's the point of the message today, is serving and exercising our faith. That simply means to serve the Lord somewhere in our lives. To find a place where we can serve God and his people. They could be here at Christ Church. They could be outside the walls through one of our partner ministries. Or it can be in your neighborhood. Just opening your mind to see the needs. To listen, to care, and to pray with, pray with those that are around you at your work or at your home. But the point is this. We have to exercise our faith. If all we do is physically eat and we never exercise, we will not live at optimum physical health. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual journey as well. We need to eat 
from the presence of the Lord and worship him. But we also need to exercise our faith and we are created to do so. The last thing is the rest. There is a time where scripture tells us to be still. Not to be distracted. Not to escape and spend hours scrolling through reels on our phone. That's not rest. But to rest. And to know that he is Lord. We see Jesus doing this again and again through the Gospels, where he pulls back, sometimes in his most busy seasons, in order to move forward, he rests. God calls us to be a people that spiritually live in this rhythm of eating in God's presence, working and serving him, and resting in our lives. Well, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it feels like we're living in a world right now that is kind of half open. Have you noticed? Like, it doesn't feel like our world is firing on all cylinders. We're more open maybe than a year ago, but it's not all working. If you go to a restaurant, you ask for simply salt or pepper at the restaurant, and it takes 45 minutes in order to get that salt and pepper. You know what I mean. I mean, there's, don't take it out of the people that are working. They're the ones that are actually there, but it feels like our world is only half on right now. Like, we're not working on all, firing on all cylinders. Well, I have to believe That's what Jesus felt like spiritually as well when he looked at his world and maybe when he looks at ours today as well. See, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus shows the work that he's doing. He shows his compassion, but then he prays. The scripture says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Friends, today, that is true. In the world that we live in, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let us pray this morning and ask the Lord that he would send out his workers into a world that so desperately needs it. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for the way that you have taught us and shown us to live our lives. God, we are exa- we are. Grateful for the example and for the way that you lived your life, not as one that was just waiting or passive, but one that was proactive, that entered into the world. So God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see this way in our lives today. That as we go into our schools, as we go into our neighborhoods, as we go into our places of work this week, Lord, that we too would be able to live the way that you lived, Jesus. God, help us live in a rhythm where we eat and nourish our hearts and our souls in your presence each and every day. Then God, show us the way in the places where we can serve others and serve you today. We're grateful for the example that you've given us here today, Lord. And give us the courage, Lord, to follow your example, to follow your way. It's in your name we pray, amen.